Hey guys, this is Mark Owings, and I'm your host for the Unbridled Life Podcast, where we have real, raw, and unreligious conversation to encourage and challenge men and women in their daily lives. Well, welcome to the Unbridled Life Podcast. I have a unique, really cool guy. I've just met him through another friend of ours, a mutual friend, MJ. This is Josh Turner, and he runs the 1010 Project. Josh, we just want to welcome you to the Unbridled Life. No, thanks, man, for having me. And everybody's already disappointed that I'm not the country music singer. You know what I mean? Like right out, right out of the gate, They're just disappointment. We should have kept a little Josh Turner on here. Yeah, yeah, a little long black train just started out. Tell us, you're married, and your two I, kids. A little bit about your family. Yeah, man, I'm married. I've been married for 20 years to my wife Becca. We also have a 20 year old son that's about to be 21. So if you can do math, I wasn't always a Christian. You know what I mean? Like just always just lead up front with that. So he's awesome. He is a junior in college. He we let him take a gap year. He was a fly fishing guide in Montana for a year, yes. and and so he's doing really great. He's studying psychology. So uh, he likes to play a game that I like to call Diagnose Dad. Now where he like. I'll walk in. He's like reading the textbook and he's like, you have seasonal depression. And I'm like, yeah, no, I know. <laughs> Very aware, son. And my doctor and counselor. And then I have a 15-year-old daughter named Riley. Riley is severely special needs. She's actually, we got diagnosed about five years ago. She's the 12th known case in the world of a rare genetic disorder. Mentally, she's totally normal, uh, sharp as attack and ruthless as a 15-year-old daughter is. It's all physical. Yesterday was a big day for us because she actually took her first steps ever. And we were there at therapy and every, you know, we're crying. She's crying. It was, it was really a, a special moment for all of us yesterday. 15 years old and taking her first step. That's, you know, you were telling me a little bit, they put her in a harness. We're assisting yeah, her. It's on a harness and there's like a track on the wall and they, she kind of walks with it. And then next thing that she'll go to is they actually have a treadmill that was designed by NASA to help astronauts when they come back from space. So they'll put her in that next and it will take a bunch of the weight off of her body and help her to start being able to move her legs as much as she can. So it's pretty cool. Well, you, you've you've got already got a unique family. What's the the stress and strain of all that? That is for sure. I mean, my gosh, just raising kids today. There's enough yeah. challenges, but special needs brings a whole nother stress mm-hmm. challenge. And sounds like you guys have that. You've got a unique journey. You've 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 kind of done the full spectrum. You've been the lost guy. You've been the yeah. pastor. And yep. everything in between. Tell us a little bit about because you pastored for like twenty years. Yeah, so I pastored at one church for 17 years and it was it was based in Jacksonville, Florida. That's where I got saved. Went on staff. I mean, I I got saved and literally was on staff at a mega church within 2 years. And so yeah, I don't know I don't recommend that. You know what I mean? Like I've I've preached things I don't even believe anymore. Like that's that's all done that. Yeah. And uh so is that the the at kind of the main church for 12 years. And then out of that moved to Orlando and planted a church in downtown Orlando, ended up having multiple campuses for two years in the urban center of Orlando. And then we're there. And so, yeah, some things got a little sideways, you know, while we were there with my former pastor and we ended up resigning 
about five years ago. And now I work for a number of different churches, organizations, work for a Christian university, run the 1010 project, and currently getting my doctorate, which I have no idea why. And I think it's just to validate something to myself. It's just so my wife has to call me doctor is why I'm doing it. I'm telling you, I need an honorary doctor. I'm going to win the doctor. I dropped out of high school three months before I graduated. I was so intelligent. You got saved. Tell us a little bit about your life before you got saved. You, you, oh, my gosh, man. Brother. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up in the church and, you know, it was the type of church where you you had to look right, act right. Everything had to be good. You know, it was like a traditional Methodist church and everybody, you know, everybody was white. And so we all looked the same. We all acted the same. We were all from the same class for the most part. And I mean, just so much of it didn't resonate. I did have a really great youth pastor who I think is part of the reason that I ended up coming back to the Lord was the stuff that he really instilled in me and is growing up. But I went to college, I went to Florida State, and man, when I left for, when I, you know, and it was back in the day when Florida State was like the number one party school, and and I went to Florida State and just lost my mind. I mean, lived in a fraternity house for four years. Like I said, I was at Florida State for so long, I should be able to operate on your brain. Just partied, slept around, drugs, drinking, and you probably get this, like, I compared myself to other people. Right. I wasn't using the standard of like the God set for me. I was looking at my friends or my other fraternity brothers, which is always a great measuring stick looking at your other fraternity brothers and going, well, they're doing that. At least I'm not doing that. I must not be that bad. And so that was kind of my measuring stick. And so as long as I wasn't as bad as the really bad guy, I wasn't that bad. But there was always this, there was always this thing in me where I would get super guilt. I'd get, now obviously I know it was the Holy Spirit, but I would get super guilty, shame, conviction. And I would call my youth pastor and he and I were, my former youth pastor, he and I were actually just laughing about on the phone because we're still friends. He goes, man, I'd see your name come up on my phone. And I'm like, someone's pregnant or someone's in jail. And I said, sometimes it was both, you know what I'm (laughs) But yeah. And so what was the moment that you went, what was the encounter that you had with the board or the word or the situation yeah. that you like, okay, man. Yeah. I, so I, I studied business and economics and social science, all that in school. And so my goal was to get out of school and just make as much money as possible. And, you know, I got a degree and a kid from Florida state university. So, <laughs> So, so I, I went into business when I left school and man, I, I think it was the Lord setting me up. I was, I did very well in business at a young age. So we were, I was 22, 23 at the time was making, you know, six figures at that age. We had built a house. I had a family and I was like, man, I should feel like life is I've, I've gotten everything I wanted at a very young age and I was miserable, miserable. And, but I had, I had reached everything that I had set for in my mind of what six, the American dream looked like. And so I was, I, I can remember, man, I used to, ha- I, I'm bald now, but I used to have hair. It was awesome. You know what I mean? Me and you dog, just, you know, what, yeah. one of my buddies said, God doesn't put marble on cheap countertops. And so, <laughs> so I can remember driving to work in a suit and just sobbing on I-95 because I, I, I didn't know what I was made for. 
I didn't know how to find out what I was made for. And if I found out what that was, I had no idea how to do it. Mm-hmm. And those were the things. And so for me, I was like, oh, I just need a hobby. So, man, I, I hate golf. So I started trying to play golf. And then I'm like, well, maybe I just need to collect something. So then I got it. I was just trying to find anything to fill this void, this gap, whatever. So I was, I was at work one day and I went on a call with this guy named Clint Hendry. And he worked with me at the, at the office. And he used to be the center fielder for Florida State. And I used to be a baseball player. And baseball players are notoriously degenerate human beings. And so, so I'm thinking, all right, if I was this bad in college and he was a center fielder for Florida State, he must have been way worse than me. So we go to see this client and we're standing in this hallway and we're standing on the second level of a stairwell. And I said to him, I go, Hey man, tell me a little bit about, or he goes, tell me a little bit about yourself. Cause we were just getting to know each other. And I said, I don't know, man, I still like going out and getting drunk sometimes, still smoke a little weed, you know, and thinking that he's going to be like, yeah, man, me too. And I go, well, what about you? And he goes, dude, I don't want to be weird. He goes, dude, I just, I really love Jesus. And I love serving at my church. And he was totally normal about it. And that messed with me like so bad. And so I went back to my wife and she grew up in the church too. And I said, Hey, I go, this guy said something to me at work today and I cannot get away from it. And I go, I think we need to start going back to church. And she's like, yeah, okay. I mean, she's just like, okay, let's go. So we start trying all these different churches And our son, when he was born, he had club feet. So his feet were, you know, like that when he was born. So we had to eventually go in, cut his Achilles tendons or like kind of slice them so they would lengthen. And then we had to put him in cast till he was one. So his Achilles would grow straight. So when you're 22, my wife's two years younger than me, 20, you know, 23, 21, you walk in with a little boy with cast on his legs. I don't think I have to tell anybody, but sometimes church people can look at you different. And you can sometimes feel like you don't fit. And so we kept trying all these churches and tried to go back to the home church that I grew up at, which let me tell you how it turns out going back to the church you grew up at. I finally went back to that guy at work. I said, Hey man, dude, you said something to me a few weeks ago and it's been messing with me and I've been trying churches and we can't find anything that fits. And I know at that point he must've been like, got him. You know what I mean? Like got him. And so he goes, well, man, why don't you come to my church uh, this Sunday? And at this point, I'm like, all right, this is it. Like, if this isn't what I'm looking for, then I'll just go back to doing whatever else I was doing. If my marriage makes it, it makes it. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And we'll both be great parents. And, you know, that's just where my mind was at that time. And probably my wife's at the same time. And so we go into church and it was really kind of the first type of non-denominational, more charismatic church that I'd ever been to. So initially walking in, with the intelligent lights going in the haze and grown men with their hands in the air crying. I'm like, Oh, this is a cult. Like this is a hundred percent a cult. And, and this is how I die. Like this is, you know what I mean? Like this is it. So we're standing, we're standing, we're standing in worship. It's me. I'm on the end, my son and my wife, and he just got his casts off for the last time. And we're in worship. And I'm looking at all these men with their hands in the air. I can see some of them crying. I got my arms crossed and I'm just looking at all these guys going, these guys are nuts. Like all these guys are crazy, man. And as I'm having this thought, I turn and I look at my son and he had pushed himself up on the seat and was standing with both his hands in the air. Come on. I lost it. Like lost it. 
And I tell people all the time, like, you know, there's a bunch of guys that when you see them cry, they look really cool. Like you've never seen the rock or Jason Statham cry and not look cool. <laughs> like I, I was that guy crying like, Oh, that dude needs help. Like, yeah. yeah, dude. Yeah. And the best way I know to explain it, you know, cause it's, it's, it's been a few years now is that I felt like what the Lord said to me in that moment was son, I know where you've been. I know what you've been doing and I'm just glad you're home. And mm-hmm. for me, for me, it was the first time I, I would say that I ever really fully felt grace. And wow. so that changed every, and I mean, legitimately, I'm the guy, I tell this all the time, I'm the guy that got saved on a Sunday, hung over from Saturday, and his whole life was radically changed forever. And I love it. It was wacky looking around. Good <laughs> one. And yeah, you know, I say this all the time. God doesn't fight fair, but he fights with grace that we can oh, understand. Yeah. Your son at that point becomes the picture of grace and just receiving. Oh. And oh man, that game changer. Yeah, one hundred percent. So you yeah. start have this encounter and your experience, you've gone from the Methodist church, nothing against the Methodist church. Yeah, yeah. Checking the box, doing the things, yeah, know, being a good person. Yeah. to the grace of God where we, we need it. And that that's yeah. the cool thing. Grace does not work if you don't need it. For sure. You know, boxes, doing the stuff, and you're still okay yeah. with it. Not, you know. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, for me, I think a lot of the way that I grew up, you know, some of the way I was raised and, and just life is, you know, to me, it, it was the idea that the better I am, the more God loves me. If I can do, then God will. And it's still something, honestly, at 42, that I still meet with a counselor to talk about because it's like so ingrained in us. And there's so and there's so much ingrained in us as men and women that the way we were raised, the way that we're taught, the way we're whatever. And so even as a pastor, man, like there were there were certain boxes I was checking. I didn't even know I was checking. And and so to have the moment where I felt like God was like, Oh, I know all the stuff you've been doing. And part of it's sitting, standing right beside you. And I don't care about any of that. Like, I'm glad you're here. Like, that was like, how do I get everybody that I encounter to never feel the way that I did before I knew the Lord? Like that, because that's a terrible place living out of performance of the more that I do, the more that God loves me. It's exhausting. You're 42, I'm 55. And I'm recognizing more now at 55, there's a propensity inside of all of us to strive. Mm-hmm. It just looks so funky, like strive, strive, instead of just wait and rest. And you go, well, I don't even know what that looks like anymore, but yeah. God knows that. And I love how he sets this thing up, and I say it quite a bit, that there's no way for us to disappoint God. The only one disappointed in all this is us. And we're yeah. grieving. And God wants to grieve along with us, so he takes yeah. you at that moment. You start walking into a relationship, and so just follow that all the way through. Is there a point where you just you know bow inside, like okay, come in? I'm, I, want I mean, to. honestly, man, it it was that moment for me. Like I, I really like. I'm not saying, and and sure, there were things that you know I had to work out over time, and and things that because I was learning so much about the Lord, there were things that. I didn't even know I should be doing that. I, that I wasn't doing or things that I wasn't doing that I should be doing, like not for God's love, but just out of spiritual discipline and growth. And so there was, there was definitely the process of that. But I mean, I would honestly say for me that 
that day was it was i mean it was it was 180 it i mean it was just like 100% my, i we were in the parking lot and i was like we're never leaving this church we're here forever i'm just like sobbing my wife's like get in the car get in the car you know you're making a scene and uh, he's not a threat he's not a threat you know and so it was it really was that thing and then it just became these things of like you know and i think this is the way the holy spirit works for so many of us is like god i think takes you through different obviously seasons of growth and he's like okay now it's time to deal with this and you deal with that and then you go to another okay now it's time to deal with this and i think that's just the you know spiritual maturity and progressive sanctification and, and so i think that's what it was for me was that first moment dude i was in like i am i am in and then it just became hey maybe i shouldn't drink so much you know jack daniels anymore <laughs> like it just became like you know maybe i should talk to my wife better maybe i should be you know like and and i think god knew this the timing and the space that i needed things and he's still doing that s- stuff with me i mean it's st- i don't think you ever right. get to a place until you're standing face to face with jesus that he's like i don't think there's anybody on earth that god's like you know you're good there's nothing else i can help you with <laughs> People love to go, glory, glory, that's called onion scan. Lower, lower, and he enjoys learning with this. So you go through this, and then you end up, you know, going through this and coming on staff. And Mm -hmm. you got a cult you came out of, and you come inside of a culture. What was that like? Oh, dude. Well, first of all, I came from the business world, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty black and white, and I don't really mince words a lot. And so I didn't understand, and you know, this being in the church world, there's certain ways you have to say everything, Mark, and you have to say it in love and you have to say it with, so people can, and like, dude, I was a wrecking ball. And so, I mean, just a wrecking ball. So we'd be sitting in meetings and someone would say something. I'm like, that's a dumb idea. Why would we do that? You know? And then their feelings are hurt. You have to go apologize. And so a lot of it was like, a, just my own emotional immaturity, right? I mean, just as I was, I was like, I was 24, 25 when I went on staff. I think it was 24. I got ordained at 25 is what it was. And uh, once again, don't recommend that. And, and so, so man, I, I, you know, it was just learning a church culture. It was learning how to operate within a church. It was learning spiritual authority and honor and how that's a good thing, but that can also be very manipulative and a bad thing at the same time. And what's the devil likes to right there, all that sort of stuff. And, and man, I just made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes. I, every time I coach young pastors now, I'm like, I can't tell you a lot of what to do. I can tell you a lot of what not to do though. And, and luckily, man, I had some really good men in my life that were my bosses that really, they, I should have been fired multiple times, like just multiple times. And they really took the time to teach me, correct me, you know, and, and I just, I think the main thing I always try to do is just keep a teachable spirit and, and like, and realize that I by far not the smartest person in the room. And at 25, that's a hard thing to do because you think, you know, (laughs) you think, you know, everything. And and dude, it, it was a, it was a shift for sure. You know, and then, and then I was, I was pastoring middle schoolers at the time. And then I had a middle schooler and thought to myself, why did any parent ever listen to me? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Cause I have a middle schooler now. I don't know what the heck I'm saying. So, <laughs> the journey. 
we we grow. You know, when I came into this, I, I same exact experience. Uh, you know, I had a four homer in one side, and yeah, love. I'm an eight two on the Eddie Graham. Yeah, you know, get out of the way, crush it, and then weep with people. Does, yeah, me too. But I had to learn. Like one of my best problems was I didn't because the way I was raised. I left home at sixteen. I did a lot of authority, and authority was not something to be trusted. As a matter of fact, yeah. When the authority came up, I got into a position. Yeah. To fight. And those men walked with me. I worked for James Robinson's ministry for yeah. 15. And I say it all the time. I should have been fired, oh. you know, at least 20 times a year. But yeah. they kept walking me through and taking yeah. me back through and showing me there's a better way. And I wasn't doing it great, but they were yeah. Oh, yeah. me great. What would you say your two biggest things that you had to learn? as you went through this process that were key for you? Man, I, I had to learn how to talk to people. I mean, honestly, like I was all, I feel like I've always been good at like sensing things or, or seeing things organizationally or how they make sense or whatever. I'll never forget. We were in one meeting one time and I just zero filter. That's a dumb idea. We don't need to do it that way. Blah, blah, whatever. This is the way we should do it. I, and like, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit older at this point and have a little bit of a track record at the time. And, and this pastor friend, he was just a friend of mine. He calls me into his office. He goes, Hey man, he goes, can I talk to you for a second? I go, yeah, what's up, dude? He goes, he goes, bro, you got really good ideas. And I go, Oh man. Yeah. Thank you so much. He goes, the problem is the way you talk makes nobody want to hear them. And I was like, Oh God, like, you know, I was just like, Oh, I mean, he set me up perfect too. Cause I was like, yeah, you know, I really feel like these ideas and he just like sucker punched me. And so I feel like that was a big thing for me was, was learning to talk the way that people needed to hear me. And I realized I could say two things. I could say the same thing two different ways was, mm-hmm. was one of my main things. And then, man, I, I would say, and this is something I still do. And I, it's one of the things I teach where I do like leadership stuff for churches. I always had to, I always wanted to, and felt like I had to fight for my humility because there was always, you know, I think as guys and as type A's there, there's always this thing in you that you want to believe maybe that you're better than you are or, you know, whatever. I, there was this pastor friend of ours at the same church. He's a missionary in Africa now. His name's Mike, Mike Peer. And there was a time where like we had need, I needed a raise because of some stuff with our daughter. And I was like talking to him and I was just venting. And as you can imagine, I can have a mouth on me at times. And I was like, and I said to him, I go, I go, man, I'll just go back into the business world. I go, I can go make a ton of money in the business world. I go, they're not going to pay me what I, what I'm worth. I said, who's going to do this job, but me. And I said it and Mike looks at me and goes, Hey man, don't think for a minute that the Lord will not sit your stupid behind down and raise somebody up in a heartbeat. And I was like, yeah. And I kind of heard myself, you know? And, and so there was just this thing of me, like in the arrogance of my young twenties or in, in, in wrestling through that and realizing that man ministry is a, is I cannot believe that I get to serve the Lord a with my life that he would use me like a idiot that I am, but I get to do it professionally. And, and that should be a, a humbling thing that I always get to remind myself of. Love it. So words and humility were something that you're continuing to learn. I'm sure always. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 
and I yeah. love what you said at top A. It doesn't matter if you're listening to you're a businessman, businesswoman, you're in the church, no matter what, when yeah. you have that personality, it's move, follow, get, get the hell out of my way. I know where I'm going. For sure. For and, sure. And I think and there's there's a really great book, if you've ever if you've never read, it's called When Narcissism Comes to Church. Mm. And so it talks about the traits of a narcissistic leader. And I was in a in a counseling intensive. And I was sitting with the counselor and I go, I asked her this question. She was 76. Her name was Miss Mary. This was right after she yelled at me to shut up. I go, I go, is every great leader, you know, a narcissist? And she goes, a hundred percent. She goes, every great leader. She just, just think about it, whether it's a business, whether it's a church, she goes, there has to be something inside of you that first of all says, I can do this. She goes, now what you do with those traits is what makes you bad or good. But every everybody that's a great leader, there is a bent towards probably some narcissism. There's really another great book that's great for business as well. It's uh, called Overcoming the Dark Side of Leadership. And mm-hmm. it gives you actually a test at the end. When you where when you get unhealthy, where do you go? And mine was just like narcissism. <laughs> like, I mean, it was just like an arrow straight to it. And so, yeah, I I just said this on the previous podcast, you know, people right now on social media, it looks like a bent and it seems like me, they're always pointing the finger to someone else about narcissism. But I would say to every listener here, all of us have a form of narcissism, whether we've been infected by it, it's what we're going to do with it and recognize it, reject it, replace it, and then start practicing out. You know, narcissism is the fall of man thinking that we can do anything and we get fat on that. And we've lumped this narcissism into just one big pile. But if you're going to be the president of the United States, you've got to have a type of metal at the tip of the spear. If you're going to run for sure any organization and sometimes people don't have much grace for leaders. And I would love to get your spin on this, especially in the church. We put so much expectation on pastors that we crush them. Um, mm-hmm. In your time in the church, I'd love to know about the pain you went through. Yep. What you tell the listeners of just going to church? What do they need to know about leaders? Yeah, I, I would say, here's what I always try to tell people about pastors. We're just people, mm. right? Like we want to put people, we want to put pastors on a pedestal and yes, we're called to live our life above reproach. And we know all that biblically, but at the end of the day, man, we're just, we're people, we're normal people. Like at, at my best, I am a fallen sinful man doing my best to serve a holy God for that's it. Like, and I, and I think so many times because, and I don't know if this is necessarily like just a church problem or just an America problem. Like we love celebrities right? Like we, we love celebrities and, and I, we we're in a weird church culture in America where we're, we're making pastors celebrities and then pastors are leaning into it a little bit, right? Like they don't come out of the green room and they, they don't really talk to, which is don't get me started on that. I don't understand how you shepherd a flock and you don't smell like the sheep, but anyway. And so, you know, that's what I always want to try to tell people is like, man, at the end of the day, pastors are pastors and they don't have all the answers. They don't know what to do in every situation. They don't have all these things figured out. And, and there has to be a level of grace that we give them that they have families, they have their own struggles. Half of them are probably wrestling with their own stuff. And the danger is, is they don't have anybody they can share it with. 
Because who can they share it with? Share it with somebody in their congregation that can use it against them. If they're struggling with like, let's just say, we'll just use pornography. If they're struggling with pornography, they're going to go to their board and get removed. They can't tell mm-hmm. anybody that works for them because they need their they need them to respect them to follow. So it's like we've put them in this like, 100%. and and we expect them to have superhuman abilities with human abilities. I mean, they're not whatever. And yes, the Holy Spirit works through them. And yes, the Holy Spirit gives them power. But it's the same Holy Spirit that does it for everybody else as well. You know what I mean? Like, oh, really? and and so I think that's the that's the hard thing and i mean even for me with pastoring it's like that you you feel like you can never do enough right there's always somebody that's in crisis there's always somebody that needs something and then you know unfortunately the day we live in today there's always somebody upset about something and no matter what you do you're never going to please anybody and unfortunately the people who are unhappiest are usually the loudest and so I remember when COVID happened and everything happened with George Floyd, I was not pastoring at that time. And so I was just counseling and talking with a bunch of my friends that were pastors and man, they couldn't win for losing. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, it was like, if you said black lives matter, well, that, that must mean that you don't like cops. If you right. say blue lives matter, well, you must not like black people. Well, can't we just can't, I care about all of it. Can't don't. And so we, we live in America and, and what we what we're living in is a place where we don't know how to hold two opposing tensions, right? Like, so right now let's just take the, the Israel and Hamas thing. Right. And I'm not gonna get into all the politics of it, but can we just say that on both sides, it is terrible. What is happening? Loss on both sides. Loss on both sides. And what I see all over social media is people, and I'm getting phone calls from pastor buddies being like, well, people need to tell me I need to speak more pro-Israel and people wouldn't say, and I need to speak more pro the Christian Palestinians. And I'm like, dude, I don't even know what to tell you because no matter what you do, someone else is going to be mad. Absolutely. 50% of the room, you go left, they'll go right. Oh and man. And so, and that takes a toll. It, it does. It just, it takes a toll on ministry. I mean, I, I was telling you before we jumped on here, I have to fly to a church in Florida this weekend to have us talk with the congregation that we're asking their pastor to take an eight week break because he went to the doctor. They almost sent him to the ER because his blood pressure was through the roof. He has no cortisol, no testosterone is blown out his adrenal glands. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like all of this takes a toll. And I would say that pastoring is very unique in the sense that like, you don't ever leave it. Right. Like when you clock out at five, people got your number. People are messaging you on social media. People are whatever. And then I used to always struggle with the thing. Like I'd get these social media messages that were like, Hey, pastor, I really need to talk to you. I'm in a hard time. And it'd be seven o'clock at night. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to respond to this person, but what if they kill themselves? Right. And, right. and now I listen, I, I'm not God. I can't do that. And that was probably more pressure on myself than I should have put on myself, but that's the reality of it. It's real. It's real. It's real. It's real. Yeah. And one so, things, you know, I'm curious how you respond to this. Uh, one of my friends coined this expectation kills intimacy. And I think we kill our pastors and leaders. Like I, I'm very passionate. I believe the church needs to stand up in truth and love as we walk. Yeah. Listen, we've got from the homosexuals to the gender, by the way, I love yeah. all of you. You know, I was a whoremonger. Yeah. 
I haven't heard that phrase in a long time. <laughs> but I I do look at this and I see it in the marriage bubble. I see it in the kid bubble. I see it in the church bubble. I see it in the business. Expectation kills intimacy. What are some of the ways that we start dismantling and discapling expectation so that we can build intimacy with each other and give away grace? Maybe you have a time that you receive that in a healthy way. Yeah, I, I, man, I would say my, my old youth pastor said this one time and it stayed with me forever. So many times we have expectations of a person and, and what I want to always try to have is not expectations, but expectancy. Come like on. that I'm going to meet them in a healthy place. They're going to help me. They're not going to whatever. And the same with the Lord, right? Like if I have expectations of God's pr- or my prayers looking a certain way, being answered or God doing a certain thing, I mean, you know, God can do whatever he wants. And most of the time that I want God to do something, the way he answers my prayer is not the way I think it should look. And so I feel like my life would be better if God would consult me more on the things that he should do for me, but he doesn't seem to do that yet. No, he um, no he doesn't, he's not a good negotiator. And so, so what I always try to do like with relationships and with the Lord is always approach them with a sense of expectancy as opposed to a certain set of expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then, man, I think too, like people that you can have transparent conversations with, there is no substitute for that. Mm. And so many people present themselves to people as they want that person to see them as opposed to who they really are. And as the good Bishop T.D. Jakes would say, Jesus Christ did not die for the person that you project yourself to be. Wow. Great. Statement. Yeah. 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 I love that. Because we, we talk about transparency and vulnerability and mm-hmm. it's hard for pastors or people in ministry. I run a ministry. The minute you do share, Hey, you know, like, you know, God, God's given me a big vision, but yeah, many times, even today that I'm, I'm just like, God, did you pick the right person? Like Some people feel that way about me. And I just, it's so wild. We have got a friend, Todd, David and Steve that are really, you know, two of those guys are mm-hmm. works with me in the ministry. What they are is a safe place for me to talk through, not necessarily stating in that as a declaration, but this is how I feel. And then they help me separate the facts and the truths and the emotions yeah. that back. And sometimes I just get there on my own. We just need mm-hmm. a play to talk through a little bit. Like I just want to quit. I mean, I think yeah. anyone ministry deals with, I want to quit at least once a month. Like this isn't worth it. I can go start a business or go work on my oil and yeah. gas business and generate so much income, but you have this call that's pulling you into this and you can't say no to it. God's not yep. negotiating that. It's a, it pulls us in, but I love that, that safe place to talk and, and really share authentically. So let's move through. Tell us you, you've, you've, you've experienced a lot. You got saved from mm-hmm. radical, just party life. Yeah. Having college to an encounter of God's grace in the middle of the church service. You pastored, you became the head pastor that gets a little funky as all churches, when we pull back the curtain, yep. what church you have right now, once you pull yeah. back the curtain, there's always something back there because there's it's, Yeah. I always tell everybody, it's not a wizard behind that curtain. It's just a man, you know? No. <laughs> so, yeah. but you go through that and then you get this call to, to lead 10, 10 project. Uh, yeah. Future and men. And so tell us a little bit about that, your transition yeah. to that. 
Yeah. So when I left the church that I was a part of after 17 years, you know, I, I kind of went and started doing some, some different things for other churches and, and a couple of other organizations. But one of the things I've always enjoyed is I love taking guys on like adventure trips, like, mm-hmm. and, and I love taking guys on hunting trips and fishing trips. And so even when I was pastoring, I would take a group of guys. A lot of that time it was my staff guys. And we'd go to Wyoming, Montana, fly fish, we'd go duck hunting and, Dude, for sure. And, and so one of the things I started realizing was, you know, when we were sitting around a fire pit or when we were in a duck blind or when we were at some sort of lodge, it just seemed that the conversations were a lot more authentic and real. And, and so I kind of started noticing that. And then what I started noticing at some places is guys would go, pastors would go and they would just disconnect, but they would not disconnect in the healthiest ways, right? Like there was probably some very unhealthy coping mechanisms. And yeah, we all have them. I just tell, I just call it your favorite sin, right? Like, so when you get unhealthy, what do you get your favorite sin? And so what's your favorite sin the last time you did it? And oh, we, we started doing all these sort of trips. And so I was on one of these trips and I was walking to the back and we had a large group of guys with this point. And my buddy, he was actually, he's a Christian business owner and leader. He wasn't a pastor at the time, but he's still not a pastor. He's like on boards and all this stuff. And he was just standing back by the bathroom crying. And, and it was kind of one of those things. And you know, this as a pastor, like some people are just crying and you're like, oh, they just need a minute with the Lord. And some people cry like I did in church where they're like, I need to go check on this dude. And <laughs> so I walked up to him. I was like, Hey man, are you, are you okay? Like everything good. And he just turned to me and he goes, yeah, here's my question to you. Now what? Like you've brought me out here to ride horses in Colorado for three days. We're talking about how we can stay healthy in ministry, how we can stay healthy in life. Now I realize I'm unhealthy. And now what? Now I just go back mm-hmm. to my life. He's like, I don't know what to do with this. And I'm like, and I didn't have an answer. So I was like, all right, man, well, you'll get through it. You know, I'm like patting him on the shoulder. Like just went to the back. I didn't know what to do <laughs> at that point. And so, so that started really like, shaping some stuff in me. And then uniquely when we were pastoring in Orlando, our church grew very quickly and everybody wanted to give me the credit for that. Right. And the Lord, but really the reality is we planted a church after three of the largest pastors in Orlando had all had moral failures and one of them committed suicide. So Mm -hmm. we actually got a massive influx of super hurt people. And so I got to see firsthand when a pastor falls, what does it do to the person in the seats? And, and I started seeing what it creates in them and the distrust it creates in them. So that's all stirring in me through all of this. The main thing was in 2020, we took 60 guys up to a place in Colorado called Lost Valley Ranch. And I took a buddy with me. He had previously made some mistakes in ministry, had been removed from his church. It was a large church. He's an author all this stuff, but he went through a full restoration plan and process. And for all intents and purposes, man, he seemed like he was doing really well. I mean, he became a really good friend. We probably talked every day. He and I actually ended up built, starting to build 1010 together. Mm-hmm. And, and I took him to this thing to talk to 60 pastors and leaders. And man, for three days in Colorado, I watched him pastor these guys, speak life into them talk openly about his mistake, what led him to that, his own burnout, 
And, you know, burnout is such a unique term. Henry Nowen says this just a it's a convenient term for a spiritual death is what the way that Nowen says it. And so I watched it. And then even on that same trip, there were about six of us that had been through some pretty significant church wounds from some spiritual fathers. And we all sat in a room with him and man, he pastored us that night, just six of us, like all crying. You know, one dude's like, I'm still on antidepressants. And the other one's like, I'm drinking too much. And like, we're just all like word vomiting. And, and he just pastored us and it was amazing. And then three weeks later, he killed himself. And I talked, I talked to him the morning of and had no idea, zero. And got a phone call from a good friend, probably a lot of us know Dino Rizzo and yeah. told me that he had, our friend had committed suicide. And I was just, I, I didn't know what to do with it because I talked to him that morning at 10 o'clock and, you know, some things that I think have kind of come to light and have helped, helped me kind of make sense of it. There's speculation that I don't really ever share, but really what that led me to was here's a guy that had every form of available to him, every type of relationship available to him. And for whatever reason, he didn't seem to take it. And how do we, how do we stop guys from going down that road? And I'm not just talking suicide. I'm talking affairs. We had to remove a guy a few months ago. He was, he spent his church's money on gambling. Like guys aren't even sending in normal ways anymore. Right. You know? And so what does it look like to, to stop that? And, and what do guys need and what, what is it that we're looking for? And John Eldridge says in one of his books, I tell everybody, John Eldridge is like my spirit animal. Like there are a few people that have influenced me like John Eldridge has. And right. I, I met him once last year and totally fangirled out over him. Like, which is very embarrassing as a 41 year old man. Do you know what I mean? Like you try to keep it together. Yeah. You try to keep it together, but I almost picked him up and spun him in a circle and put him down. And he is dude. I could have babied yarning. And so, so I hope he doesn't listen to that podcast. That will be this podcast. That will be very disheartening to him. John, John says in one of his books, man, that really has been huge for us at 1010. And for me, he says, there's a difference between relief and restoration. Mm. And so what I started noticing in my friends and also in myself is that when I get unhealthy, there are certain times, man, where I just look for relief, right? And that relief, relief cannot, can not be sinful, right? It could be like, you're going to the gym too much. Right. Like you're, you're, you know what I mean? You're, you're just playing video games. You're watching too many movies, like whatever. But there's at times where like, it can be sinful, right? So what, one of the things about me, I know is when I get unhealthy, my relief, the sinful relief that I look towards will be alcohol. Mm. It is one of those things for me. It is a coping mechanism. And because it's that thing that it, it's the thing that you look for that numbs you, right? That yep. you don't feel the whatever. So John says there's a difference between relief and restoration. So my business partner and I, Tyler Reagan, who used to run Catalyst Conference, we started asking the question of what does it really look like to help restore guys? And I'm not even talking about restore them from after a fall. I'm saying restore their souls. Like restore them to their full health. You know, 1010, we say that it's it's pastoral and business leader leader prehab. We we're not in the we're not taking hey, guys. Man, we're, we are we are pastor and business leader prehab. And wow. so 
we we are not specialists after a guy goes off the rails. Like we can help and we have a lot of places that we send guys, but we start asking the question of how do we keep guys from going down that road? And so, you know, when we started it, we just called some of our friends and said, Hey, we have an idea. We're going to build an airplane in the air. We're going to work on a hot engine and we're going to ask you to go through this. And this is kind of what we laid out for them. And so what, what 1010 is, is one of the things we knew is that guys need community and most pastors, everybody in their world either works for them or goes to their church. Yeah. And so what ends up happening is you self-isolate. And you don't isolate even really sometimes because you deserve, you desire to, you do it almost out of necessity. Survival. And if it's survival. And if you, if you're friends with other pastors, you don't want to tell them everything unless you're really close with them because you want them to look at you the right way. Right. So it, it just goes back to this pressure cooker of isolation that we have made. Right. And then we, and then the stupid crap that's out there about like, if you're a pastor, you can't let them see you sweat. You got to show them that you got it. You got to have it all together. You got to be the man of God. You got to be the man that goes to the mountaintop and cut. Like, that's ridiculous. First of all, that's Old Testament church theology, which I don't want to get into. There's all this sort of stuff. And so, what we knew was guys need community, guys need mental health counseling. Like, they need therapy. And I'm not talking pastoral care therapy, I'm talking you need a licensed professional to sit down with you and counsel your crazy behind. Like that's what we, what we were, what we realized. And then they needed to have fun. One of the doctors that I work with, he calls it holy leisure. Mm. He said, every guy needs holy leisure. And one of the things that Billy Graham talks about is he says that one of the things that saved his ministry was golf because he had something else, you know? And, and, and so there's so many guys that they, we realized they didn't have that stuff. They didn't know how to do that. So we created 1010. It's off of Ecclesiastes 1010. You know, my paraphrase is always a dull ax requires more work. So you use wisdom to sharpen the blade. Come so on. we started asking, what does it look like to help guys sharpen the blades and stay healthy? So it's, it's a year long process that we take guys through. And the reason we did a year is because we think it takes time to build transparent relationships. We think it takes time to do deep restorative work. And so, so we, we, every trip, so we have a group, we just launched a group. We're getting ready to start with two more groups in February. So at the end of February, we will take 28 guys snowmobiling in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. You and I were talking about the lodge. It's the only lodge that was built uh, by the same people that built Yellowstone's Old Faithful. The food's incredible. The lodge is incredible. And I tell everybody, honestly, I said, listen, I'm using snowmobiling to just get you to open up to have an honest conversation. That's it. Snowmobiling is the fun part because here's what, what we learned and what I learned doing a bunch of trips with pastors over the years. When you get a bunch of pastors or even business leaders in a room together, immediately what starts happening is they start jockeying for position, right? The, everybody's trying to figure out who's got the biggest, who's the best, what's the, you know, whatever the case may be. And when you start leading relationships with that, that does not create any sort of transparency. But when I put 14 dudes on a snowmobile for four hours and we watch everybody get launched off of one into the snow, you can't come back in and act like a big shot. And then we're all, we're all laughing at each other. 
and we're all telling. And so what happens is, is we use snowmobiling, UTVs, pheasant hunting, whatever we do to just get these guys to bond around something that has nothing to do with what they do, but just has to do with who they are. And, and so, you know, the first trip, everybody tells their stories. And so if there's 14 guys in a project, those 14 guys are broken up into two groups of seven. Each group of seven has a coach or a guide that walks with them through the year. That's an older pastor, someone that's been in ministry, someone that's been through 1010. They check on them weekly, connect with them monthly on Zoom. So the first trip, like I tell my story, the coach tells their story, and then each night the guides tell theirs. And I am, I just got back from one in Nebraska like a week and a half ago. I am shocked every time when you put guys in the right setting, if they don't know each, they, they don't know each other. Some of them may know each other a little bit. Most of these guys have never seen each other, heard each other's names in their lives. You put them around a fire pit and you ask them to start telling their story. It blows me away every time how transparent these guys are. Mm. I, I, I'm like, I told my, my business partner, Tyler, this past week, I said, this last trip was some of the craziest stories I've heard like ever. And, and it was so, it was the first trip. And so now, so after that first trip, they do um, monthly zoom calls with their coach on zoom, the whole group of seven together. The second month in, they will take a behaviors and mindset assessment. We work with a doctor that was educated at Oxford and Cambridge and ran the spiritual formation department at Westminster Seminary. He's so smart. I don't know why he's friends with me. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, how do we connect at all? And so they do a behaviors and mindset assessment. And then he takes the whole group through the results. And then each guy gets an individual session with him. We take a, we take it month five. The guys take a depression, anxiety, and burnout assessment God, to see where they rank on that. And then the middle trip that we do is always six months in. We use a retreat center in South Georgia. And we have four to five counselors that work for us and we fly them in and it is four days of, in, of intensive therapy, but you do it all in your group. Because what's so amazing is what we are trying to do is to keep these guys going deeper and deeper in the relationship. And so what's so unique about group therapy and counseling is you'll see a friend working through some of his stuff and you'll actually start working through stuff in your own heart, hearing his story. And, yeah. Oh man. Well, and then you just, you know, the, the la- I'll just share about me. Like the last counseling intensive I did with these guys, I was just sitting in there, right? As the leader, I'm not even supposed to be getting counseled. It's just me being in there. And the counselor was actually my old counselor for five years in Orlando. And he just asked me a question. And Mark, I lost it like crying. And then when I get super emotional, for some reason, I start cussing a lot. I don't understand it. It's just where I go. I'm just going to be real, real transparent. Just like, so I'm just like at my worst, like, and it was a bunch of stuff about like, you know, having a special needs kid and struggles and what it does to your marriage Mm -hmm. and and the fear that I have as her dad, like what happens to her when I'm gone? Will I ever make enough money to provide for her, for her entire life? Like, so I'm just processing all this out loud and just crying, cussing, you know, just a hot mess of a human. And, and I watch my, my best friend was in this group and four other guys. And I watch these guys at my worst rally to me. 
And dude, it did something like for my soul, right? Like it, it, it was because everybody, even me, like we all want people to view us a certain way. Sure. And, and I just came unhinged and, and watching those guys empathize with me, meet me in that place, pray over me. My best friend just hugged me and I'm not a toucher. So I'm like, Oh God, get off me. And like, you know, like, but it just, dude, it did something for me. And I watched every guy go through the same thing. And so that's the middle trip that we do. And then we, we take a spiritual gifts test, a gifts of the, a, a gifts of the spirit test, a fruits of the spirit test. And that's just kind of more for them. And then we end with a trip and the end trip is like, a graduation trip. We have these like custom bracelets. I wear a ton of bracelets like my mom for some reason, but they had our logo on them. And the, the unique thing about them is, is you can't put them on yourself. Like, so guys in your group have to put them on you and wow. they tell you, and they speak into you before they put it on you. And then everybody prays over you. And then I think I actually have one here. And then even for our counseling, we had these military challenge coins made for the counseling. And so during the counseling at the end of it, what's really cool is every guy in a group in front of all 28 guys will give it to a guy and say, Hey, I want you to know I'm giving you this because I saw you do this and I saw you walk through this and you were open and you were, and like, it's just these really cool moments of seeing these guys go in deeper relationships with one another. We have one group that ended Two years ago, I think, year and a half ago, these idiots are in a national game of tag with one another and have stayed in it, stayed in it for a year and a half. So they, they're pastors. They won't tell each other. And one of them will find out one speaking at a conference, tag him and leave. It's the craziest thing. Like what I love about what you're doing is, you know, that scripture out of Ecclesiastes. It's wisdom and fun. And so, listen to him. You're you're thinking, guy. He just is so transparent, vulnerable. Because we we all do. He's like, when I get emotional, I cry, and then I just start cussing. I'm a little pissed, and then it all comes out. But it's not about that. It's about getting it out and sort of body where they are and somehow along the way we've missed in church of what that what that looks like we're we're all conforming instead of being transformed um and instead of the culture being transparency vulnerability and restoration and love and meeting somewhere they are it drives me nuts you know you go with a group of guys and someone's like man that guy's drinking too much i always look hey that's the fruit that's not the root for sure Let's not get caught up on on that. I'm not advocating overdoing it. Yeah. What I'm advocating, yeah. look past the fruit. Let's get down to the root and let's extend that. So if you're interested in this, and I don't care if you're a pastor, a businessman, yeah. I'll also tell you where, where you are. My heart here at the Unbridled Life is to connect the body of Christ to life in yeah. an unbridled way. Not unhinged, party drinking, all that unbridled. Yeah, we don't do we don't we don't do that. Yeah, but it's real. It's authentic. It's where men get to get out. My brain turns off fly fishing. You know, I'll just be honest with for you. For sure. One thing that I've struggled with for the last 55 years that my kids say to me is, and my wife is, you've got to get out. And yeah. 
The problem was I just, I wanted to get married because my dad designed and built strip joints for a living. I wanted to be married. I didn't want to have an affair and I wanted to be a good dad that didn't lay his hands on kids. God yeah. gave me all that, but it was hard for me to dream. And at 55, I'm starting to dream. Like I'm starting to see that I need to go, but I've got great friends like MJ that's just like, hey, come on this pheasant yeah. hunt. I don't really want to go. I don't know yeah. if that's isolationist in me. I don't yeah. want to get a group of guys. If they're all a bunch of posers, I shut down and I, yeah. I look for <laughs> I still have to take the step to engage in that process when that invitation is coming. So, Josh, I love what you're doing. Tell these people how to get in contact with you and learn more about yeah. what you intend. Yeah, I mean, if anyone listening is interested, we have two projects kicking off at the end of February, beginning of March. You can go to 1010project.com. It's the number 10 and then the word 10, project.com. We probably could have made that a lot easier, but that's the way we did it for whatever reason. You know, hindsight's 2020. Um, yeah, yeah, just at the bottom, 1010project.com. And, and there's, and we're actually in the process of redoing our website right now, but there's just a, hey, request more information. You go on there, you fill out the form, the form comes to me, and then we have a phone call together. And because what we always want to make sure of is that we are also the right fit for you. And there have been some guys, man, that we, we haven't been the right fit for. They needed like immediate help. But if that's you as well, we've got tons of great places and facilities that we're in relationship with across the U.S. that we can help you with as well. Come on. So I'm going to ask you so, to do a couple of things. You listen is here's our book, The Original Sanctuary. It's got the treehouse. It's all about my story where I cool. partied, did it all. And then David, who was a Baptist before he was a Christian, he checked all the boxes. He ended up in his ditch and I ended up in mine. If you will, reach out to us at info at elevatehim.com. We're going to take those names through a drawing, send you some books, maybe even an audio. But I want you to share this with your pastor and and just share it with him. He may need this and, and take a step even further, maybe sow some money so that he can do this. This probably isn't a cheap process, but it, it's never cheap to get healthy. And if we want to see the mass exodus of pastors leaving the ministry, we as attending the church have to be a part of for sure. that for them. And my deal is I don't know why every church, especially over a certain number, wouldn't set funds aside so a pastor can get the health, healing, and get away and get disconnected and be around his peers. So I want you to do that, but pass this on, share this story. We want to help Josh and what he's doing. They're doing incredible stuff. And thanks for joining us at the Unbridled Live Podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Unbridled Live Podcast. We know your time is valuable, and we hope we bring real and relevant content that helps you live that unbridled life. If you want to help us spread the message, you can rate or review the podcast on whatever platform you like to listen to us and share it with a friend or two. If you want to know more about who we are and what we're doing, head on over to theunbridledlifepodcast.com and learn more.